Hi, I'm Tiffany. I'm Corey. I'm Laura. My name is Desmond. I'm Sam. And this is Nickel for Your Thoughts. Today's Nickel is for your thoughts on cancel culture. Hey everyone, welcome to Nickel for Your Thoughts. I'm Corey, and uh, well, we're with everyone else who will introduce themselves in a minute. Thanks for listening today to today's episode. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, cancel culture. So to contextualize things, actually very recently, an open letter was published in Harper's Magazine. You can find it online. It's signed by 150 writers and thinkers from a wide range of uh, sectors, among whom names like Malcolm Gladwell, J.K. Rowling, Noam Chomsky. The letter uh, denounced the increasing cultural intolerance uh, and resistance to open debate. In two words, cancel culture, which we'll define more clearly in a second. Uh, the concerns of the letter are that such intolerance is genuinely a real threat to democracy and to free speech. Uh, I didn't agree with the entirety of the letter, uh, but the gist, I think, is bang on and very refreshing. And it was really cool to see uh, influential voices speak out in this way. So I looked up cancel culture online and found really quick, a really fitting definition from Oxford, I believe. Uh, and it defines cancel culture this way. The cultural phenomenon of publicly shaming, rejecting, and ceasing to provide support to people deemed unacceptable and calling on others to boycott them. Uh, two examples that came to mind or come to mind always right away for me, uh, James Gunn of Guardians of the Galaxy. Now he's the director of it, so the nerd in me was devastated terribly when I found out he wasn't going to be directing the third one. Now, if you've been following that, of course, he was reinstated. Everyone in the cast protested and everything, so there was a whole thing about that. Uh, Kevin Hart was uh, not allowed to host the Oscars. I think this was in 2018 now, so a couple years ago. Uh, both of them canceled for tweets they had made uh, up to 10 years prior, uh, and, and they had also already apologized uh, for the tweets. Uh, so interesting kind of thing happening there. Uh, that said, I wanted to kind of lead with what I think uh, is the baby in the bathwater, so to speak, of cancel culture, because I think there's always good and bad to, to, to these sorts of movements. And I think cancel culture has somewhere in it a sincere desire for justice and other moral concern. And I think that is good. Uh, so I want to lead acknowledging this and, uh, and, and that you know, these sorts of things probably stem from a, from even real pain. And I do think there are psychological uh, phenomena going on that are probably leading to uh, cancel culture. I also think there are times for canceling, and we probably all agree with this, at least roughly speaking. You know, there's a time to fire somebody, a time to not publish an article written by someone, or even to not have someone speak at your event. I'm open to these things. But I think cancel culture goes to the extreme. And it silences ideas that may be perfectly reasonable, perhaps should be heard. Um, and it also silences people that are good, helpful, and reasonable communicators. Uh, many of us, well, I should say all of us, I assume, are Christians on this podcast. Um, and I think we could even draw a helpful connection here uh, between what we would often call uh, legalism uh, and cancel culture itself. Basically, in cancel culture, anything less than per uh, perfection is unacceptable. And even more specifically, uh, it's, it's often anything less than you agreeing with every word in my ideology that is unacceptable. Uh, there's basically zero grace. 
uh, in cancel culture. And, and us as Christians, that's, I think, would be a, a major point of contention. It's also, I think, just plain mean sometimes. Social media seems to have this weird thing um, and a kind of uh, hip- hypocrisy where people will just be outright mean and, and uh, eviscerate someone who they disagree with. Uh, and in doing so, kind of show their own colors. Um, but anyway, I don't want to digress on that. In the end, though, I think cancel culture actually hurts the things that it's it's trying to shoot for, like justice and equality. I think free speech, on the other hand, which of course contrasts with uh, cancel culture, uh, allows for open dialogue and exposes ideas, even bad or really dangerous ones, exposes them to the light so we can see them for what they are, compare them to alternatives, and even just test them when they're out in the open. I think it's when you test ideas that you see them for what they really are, and I think that's how you uh, lead real change even. I think people who you know, may have uh, a, a bad idea, if you stifle them, it's all the more likely that they're gonna come back more aggressive in the future. But if you allow them to speak, and, and have open forum, and even, well, then they're more likely to listen to you and your challenges to their ideas. And in the long run, I think that creates an actual healthy process where we can, um, well, actually progress as a society. And I do think, and this, I think it's particularly relevant in Canada because I do think we're much closer than we realize to policed speech. Uh, and I think that's really, really, really dangerous. I could probably go on. I think there's a whole lot we could talk about, but I did want to open it up uh, with that. So, uh, in the spirit of free speech, which you could probably tell that I'm, uh, sort of landing on, uh, I will gladly pay a nickel for all of your thoughts, even, uh, if I disagree with them. Unfortunately, Sam is not here today, uh, so he does not get the nickel. I think I just, I'm like trying to think of those specific situations. Mm. I feel like I have more initial thoughts on like cancel culture rather like as as opposed to maybe like free speech i think it's like hard because i think um you see different people getting canceled but for very different reasons um and things are all over the map and i've seen i've noticed in my own reactions some i agree with some i don't and right now i'm trying to figure out like why um because i think some of like yeah, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it that, like, I'm not really sure how to verbalize. I would say my initial thoughts um, towards cancel culture, I think in terms of the good that I see in it, I think there have been situations um, when I think about uh, certain people in the entertainment industry uh, who have, uh, where it seems that they've, it's been pretty clear that they've done wrong and it's better to like maybe not listen to their music or some of the things that they put forth in um i guess into the world so they don't get as much economic benefit uh back because you're not supportive uh of uh of things that they've done uh, and the lack of i guess appropriate just response from the legal system and so i th- i've seen that be at times a good i at least i believe to be a good thing but the the thing that concerns me about cancel culture at the same time it's like it seems to be like who decides what's too far Hmm. because i think it's it's very i don't know if we have like an objective forum of what is too far 
and then and so i th- so i think there are places that you step into different ideas where someone's like hey that's too far we need to cancel them and you're like by what grounds by what means uh, hmm. and and often um yeah and and so i find that's when it gets a really big really a bit hazy because different people define it as as what's too far in different spaces and depending on um and often i say the more yeah it seems to revolve around your political uh bent and so then that gets even more Mm, tricky yeah yeah because usually the people wanting to cancel or boycott or whatever uh again it's it's an ideological thing often um my thoughts on cancel culture. Okay, so I have been thinking about this, and I feel like cancel culture and free speech are in two different categories in my brain. Because cancel culture in my mind is retroactive. It's a uh, look at what this person did, like the director and uh, Kevin Hart that you mentioned before, it was tweets from years and years ago that were Mm. dug up from the grave. Then there was a call to like cancel this person because of the views that they had back then. Whereas free speech I see as more active and it's like in the moment I vote this political party and not this political party, but there is no tolerance for like a conversation between opposition. In regards to cancel culture, I think one of the things that frustrates me the most about it, uh, you mentioned it, Corey, is like, there's no grace whatsoever. Mm. It's mm-hmm. like a call for like full canceling and like ending of existence in a lot of times because people are mean. Um, I think of Jenna Marbles. Okay. She I don't know how (laughs) into YouTube drama you guys are, but she is my angel. I have watched her since I was in high school. I love her. I love the content that she produces currently. She's super fun and uh, like neutral in a lot of ways, but a lot of her like content in the early 2000s was like what it was at the time. And there were moments she was in blackface and there were moments where she made racist comments and uh, she came out with an apology video saying that she was like done with YouTube. And that like shook me to my core because I love the content that she's producing right now. Like it's so clear to see that she has changed from the content that she created when her channel was first launching to what she's producing now. But there's no grace and she feels like her voice no longer can speak into like the world that she was creating content for. And that just makes me sad. Hmm. I think it's like hard when it's like things that, when things from 10 years ago or more like get dug up and get criticized to today's lens. Um, Cause it was a different world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, 10 years ago. I, I don't know what to think because I think sometimes the things that were done are are wrong. Like that's not right. But at the same time, like to like last, ten years ago, I was fifteen, and I don't want to be judged by yeah. like, by the person I was at fifteen mm-hmm. at twenty five. That's terrifying. Like I don't I don't think it's representative of who I am now. But at the same time, like some of the things that people pull up from ten years ago, maybe they didn't get justice for it 10 years ago, right? Like, um, is it wrong to bring it up now? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Hmm. I think it's complicated. 
Um, I don't think blackface is right, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's like uh, I don't know how to sit with that. Mm. Right. I also think that like the opposite of that is true. Where like okay, someone that I am very passionate about canceling. I'm just gonna be open. Chris Brown. Man, there is no reason he should still be producing music and super successful with the amount of charges that he has against him and the time that he has served uh, for beating women. Like, he is very po- openly and publicly, like, pleaded guilty for a lot of things. But he's still super successful in the music industry. Hmm. And I think it raises the question of like, oh, is your character separate from the content that you create? Because like, I'm not going to deny that like a lot of my, a lot of the bops that I liked when I was a kid um, were in some part featuring him or he had some content on it. So like, do you cancel all of the work that he has produced ever or do you just not support the work that he continues to make? Um, I don't know, but I Hmm. don't like him. Yeah, I think it's an it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, to to really discern what the what the line is and what is appropriate. Because even as what you were saying, uh, Tiffany, it also makes me think of like even like the appropriate way to like address it. Like, was it did the per, should the person known have known like their behavior was inappropriate in the time? Uh, I think of uh, last fall and uh, Justin Trudeau and. Um, a blackface coming out during the election and it's like brown face yeah brown face uh, sorry and you're, and you're like hmm like i think you should have known this as a teacher and at no point it doesn't it didn't seem like you had denied that like you had made it clear that this was wrong uh, as opposed to i think the examples that, that you gave uh cory with uh kevin hart and james gunn where it's like there's a clear transformation here and and i th- I think the that's a yeah I don't see like there's a nuance given for the situations I'm gonna come out again as the theater kid nerd that I am um and uh well now it's way past the point but Hamilton came out on Disney plus a little while ago and now it's sparked up more conversation around like is this glorifying the founding fathers the very people that were slave owners and denied human rights to women and you know and all of the things that are true of the people that are represented on the stage like the historical people um but then you have this musical that was like groundbreaking and gave opportunity for representation on stage gave access to a complete new genre of music that had never seen Uh, the spotlight or attention on Broadway Um, because it wasn't like the traditional norm. It was seen as quote unquote ghetto um, music, which not true. (laughs) Um, Rap has so much potential um, for musical theater. Um, But right now we're in this war of the back and forth of do we appreciate the art for what it is or do we cancel it because it's about uh, people that do not deserve to be celebrated. Yes, they founded America, and whoop-de-doo, we're living in that now. But a lot of the things that they founded America on were systemically racist, um, which we are still currently fighting to this day. Um, and I also, like, again, breaks my heart, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator of Hamilton, deactivated his Twitter account, um, 
when all of these controversies came up because clearly it's it's too much to be in the spotlight in those moments. And I don't blame him. But again, like content creators, I don't know where the line is hmm. um, between who gets to be canceled, how do we celebrate things that are like worth celebrating without like worshiping things that are not ideal. So let's let's piggyback off that then because I think this is well, this is probably the important question, right? So again, there's good and there's bad, seemingly, with cancel culture. It seems like we agree with that. We agree there's some sort of tension here. Uh, but how do we figure out where to draw the line? Or do you have specific thoughts on where to draw the line and what the heart should really be in these sorts of difficult scenarios? Okay, again, examples. Um, I think of... People that have, uh, quote unquote, been canceled online and have had an appropriate response to it. And then people that are, quote unquote, canceled online who have a bad response to it. Again, I'm going to bring up PewDiePie because um, Western media, whenever he's in the media, uh, he's like represented as like neo-Nazi because he said something way back when on a live stream and he's apologized profusely for it since then acknowledged was wrong continued in his success um and always acknowledged that that was wrong and not okay current news outlets whenever they're publishing a oh he broke the like i don't know how many million subscribers he has on youtube line but they're like anti-semitic pewdiepie and he's like oh that's Mm. not who i am that was one (laughs) comment that i made Mm. um And I see him and I look at his story and I think, okay, he's acknowledging his wrong. He's apologizing for it at any opportunity, but he's also not letting it hold him down. Okay. And then I think of people that did cancel culture wrong. Um, And uh, I think of Gabby Hanna, who is currently, well, not really currently. It's kind of fading away in the news. Um, Again, more YouTube drama. Apparently, I just live on YouTube. Um, But she has, like, come out as, like, a, like, just a generically bad human being and just rude and not, like, a good friend and stands with someone who was accused of uh, sexual assault. Um, And she didn't stand with the victim. She stood with the accuser. And there was so much about her. But she has never once apologized for any of her acts. In fact, she's gone on rants and tirades of, like, I deserve my success and you can't tell me that what I did was wrong and blah, 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 and continuing. Um, And so I see that and I would have less grace for her in the situation because there's a a lot that uh, comes up in these situations, a lot of, like, accusations, but um, she just doesn't have, like, an apologetic, like, I, I want to be that's not the right word anywho I don't want to be sorry um for what I've done um I deserve what's coming for me and I don't know if that clarifies the line but that's like my approach to it is is the person like like trying to do better or are they not if they are not then Hmm. cancel them yeah I think the way you're describing Laura it just seems uh, for a Christian, you're thinking in the categories of, um, is it Matthew 18 or just, uh, I believe it's uh, when there's like, 
when you and another brother have conflict and you bring someone else in and what is that person's response as we think of like church discipline and when they're confronted do they confess and admit wrong and do they turn um back to god and walk in um to use Christian language, repentance, to, to switch, to do a U-turn in their behavior and in their posture and in the way they live, um, and fully identifying what they did as wrong um, and not in line with the character of God. And so I think that's a lens we should, it seems like, like the way you're talking about, that's the way we should kind of, at least Christians approach these things, like is this person seeking to walk uh, in repentance? And even to take that further with what you're saying is like, do they just say the right things for PR or are we seeing active transformation? Yeah, that's important. Yeah, and, and so that's what I would add to, to that. Like, are we, mm-hmm. um, I think that's a posture we should be thinking about as Christians and even looking at ourselves and being like, if we were in this situation or if people treat us, it would, um, like, how are people treating us? How are people looking at us if we were in a situation where we've wronged people? Uh, how do, like how does the how's the gospel invite us to to change um and so like i think that's a helpful lens to think as we look into the world as well i think a funny thing that's been birthed out of uh cancel culture is like the trope of the crying youtuber <laughs> i think they're hilarious and there are shows that rate <laughs> different crying youtuber apologies which i think is a bit hilarious um that's a thing and uh and some of them are clearly like you said does like pr versus others actually seem genuine um i don't know how to rate that i think some of the things that i think about um is yeah like is this is that person actually acknowledging what like specifically what the wrong is um because i think you can make apologies that gloss over it but like for me, a show of like true, like more true repentance, especially with people that I don't know personally, I don't have a personal journey with, like how am I supposed to know what's really deep in your heart? But at least for people that I'm seeing from a distance, if they recognize the pain that they've caused, they should be able to name that. They should be able to like pinpoint, this is what was wrong. And if that sounds like accurate to actually what people are saying, I think another aspect as well is like, I think about who's controlling the narrative, um, whose story is being told. Um, and I think this is especially true for like um, people who have been canceled because of accusations of like sexual assault and like sexual harassment. I think that's an important aspect is who controls the narrative, whose stories are we listening to um, and paying attention to that. I'm not saying that that doesn't apply to other issues but um yeah i'm just i'm thinking of different cases that have come up and i think yeah like whose voice are we listening to um and is that the ground what are the grounds of which like we're proposing canceling this person as a culture Hmm. right and i think it's also important to note that we're talking about uh, like people who are still alive like who can repent and who can actively like acknowledge their wrong but there is so much in cancel culture that is like should we have a statue of this person um, mm. who did X, Y, and Z in our the middle of this park in this very famous city? Um, and people are debating it, and there's like, they've died long, long, long ago. They cannot acknowledge they're wrong. In fact, they probably died 
convinced that they were right in the things mm. that we're accusing them of now. Do we take the statues down? Do we keep them up because they're history? Like, who gets to decide if a statue gets to stay up or if it has to come down? Um, mm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and one of the issues that that uh, comes up uh, with with what you guys are saying too is uh, the actual figuring out of like what's right and wrong too. So I kind of teased at this a little bit. So I mean, one of the issues is our culture. Again, it's it can be very ideological, and the narrative uh, is put forward, or narratives are often put forward and almost asserted or assumed. And if you disagree with the narrative, you they're trying to cancel you. They don't even want you to have a platform to put forward your challenging narrative. And that's what what I think is if perhaps the most counter uh, productive thing of cancel culture is it doesn't care about the truth. It cares about their narrative. And I think, you know, we have to be everyone has to be open to the idea that their narrative is wrong. The things that they believe are wrong. Um, and cancel culture, it does the opposite, though, because it says we shouldn't even listen or look at these things or these people. And it, it might even go as far as to say, because they were like this, we can't listen to any of their ideas. So one of the things, you know, with the founding fathers idea, um, I, I mean, from what I've studied of the founding fathers, I think their ideas are some of the most important human ideas in, in all of human history. Did they probably believe some wrong things and practice some wrong things that we wouldn't agree with, especially as Christians? Yeah, probably. But if you cancel their entire selves and their entire ideas, you do some really dangerous stuff, I think. And I think the 20th century has seen that, too. Um, and again, I think our culture today is is trying to go that way. Like the idea of cancel culture at its core, canceling people stifling their ideas, deplatforming. I actually had a really funny experience on Facebook that illustrates this. Um, you guys have heard of like anti-fascism and Antifa, the organization. Um, mm -hmm. They're getting more and more exposed, I think now, but they've been around for a little while. But there was a, a friend of mine posted on Facebook and she was talking about uh, how we needed to make sure, it was Jordan Peterson, uh, the uh, most, most people will be familiar with him, but the professor out of U of T who's now world famous for opposing uh, Bill C-16, uh, some speech laws in Canada. He was speaking at an event and people were saying we should deplatform him, like he should not even be able to speak. Um, and I got in a bit of a conversation with someone and the one guy, I, so I had to look up fascism because I was like, I want to make sure I know what this is. And essentially it's like the oppressing of, of, of opposition. It's a really strong authoritarianism. And uh, I pointed out the irony of these people who are talking about, um, we, we are anti-fascist, therefore we are anti-Jordan Peterson. I was like, no, you are, you are literally the definition of what you're trying to set aside. You are fascist. And he, this one guy commented on Facebook and says, um, anti-fascism is the new fascism, LOL, and like kind of like making fun of me. But I was like, yes, literally anti-fascism as what as you're describing it is the new fascism that's exactly what's going on and people just don't see that irony but again if people aren't free to speak up their ideas i think the ideas just come back stronger and we actually uh, can't progress as a society and help figure out what is true and what should be maybe boycotted or avoided or uh, whatever
Yeah, I think the only caveat to that is also thinking through like the forums for, I don't want to say when free speech is allowed, but I do find sometimes in our culture, because we value free speech, we feel like we can say this anyhow in any way we want, even if it's mm. mean. And I, and, mm. I, and I think there is, as a Christian, because our ethic is to love our neighbor, and if we are practicing free speech, we, we don't just weaponize our words to, to say it and feel freedom to say it in the most hurtful or mean way. Mm. Uh, and so I think there is, there is I think that's, I think there's a difference to the way a Christian approaches free speech in like, is our, as my words, helping to actually build people up, yeah, further, uh, just a people in their lives and in their living in a way mm. that's honoring to God. And I, and I think right. that's fundamentally different, I think, as a Christian approaches free speech. And so I would even pause and being like, okay, if this is bringing up something hurtful, I want to pause and be like, hey, before I do that, I want to practice, I guess, James 1 and being like, slow to speak and quick to listen. And just mm. asking, hey, like, this seems to bring these things up. I would really want to understand um, before I just, just use um, the rights that I have, the political rights. Um, I'm under a, a higher authority, and so I want to be really aware and just listening. Hmm. And just quickly, yeah, that that brings up the nuance. You know, there's a there's a conversation to be had around like what is illegal and what is just appropriate versus inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but one thought I I I had, and I'll I, I should say, um, cite my sources. So I think this thought came up after listening to another podcast called Popcorn Theology that reviews uh, that just reviews content um, in like entertainment movies uh, but just tries to think about it from a Christian worldview and they were talking about Hamilton and and talking about at least for Christians how how our worldview allows us to look back at the past and see people for who they are so we can we can we can be honest about where they failed we can be mm-hmm. really brutally honest about that uh, mm-hmm. but we can also be honest about the spaces, especially if they've been repentant, like how God has worked and uh, redeemed them, or God is using even the good things, though their character isn't redeemed, that they have brought forth um, for his purposes. So specifically like King David, like you can be really honest that he was a murderer and you can be really brutally honest about that, but also seeing what transformation looks like. And so even in the case of like figures like Hamilton, we can be really honest in being like, hey, this is racism, this is prejudice. Uh, and so I think I think that's something as Christians, I think we need to probably pause and think about uh, in our contemporary time, because I think sometimes we, one sets of people can drink nationalism, and so we sanitize history, and then others are just like mm-hmm. vilifying history, where I think as Christians, we can be brutally honest and say it's it's both. Good point. I think as well, like, not all topics are a debate, I think. Um, Not all, like, not to everyone, like, not everything that we encounter in life is academic debate, or maybe even should be. I think also, like, each person approaching it, some of it is more emotional. Some of it is, this is someone's story. This is someone's lived experience. It's not up for debate. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, there's topics where I'm like, I don't care to hear the other side. Because honestly, it's already painful enough for me to talk about it. Um, and your what you see as an academic debate, as presenting the devil's advocate or like the other perspective, is actually hurting my soul. 
um, it's actually really painful, but you don't see it. And there's like conversations where I've had where they're like, are you just like a po like, can't you think of that other person's perspective? I'm like, honestly, like, no, um, <laughs> I'm okay with saying that, I think. And um, I think, yeah, like, I, I think it depends on the topic. I think this is quite broad in that sense. Like, um, but not, yeah, not all topics are academically, academic subject to all people. And so I think it changes the, like the posture and the tone in which we communicate with one another. Yeah, that speaks to, and I, I, when I was thinking for this, I I wrote down a whole bunch of thoughts and uh, that's why I led the way I did, because I think, again, with cancel culture, and this is not to say you were necessarily speaking on that, uh, Tiff, but there's, there's a deeply personal side to most, maybe most ideas. Um, and I, I think in our world, there's a lot of pain in general, you know, like mental health stuff's on the rise and, um, all these different sorts of things. And, you know, even talking about history and stuff like, uh, and with everything going on recently, and this is why people are tearing down statues. It's because they do kind of associate some of their pain or even some current difficulties with like those people. Like it's so complicated, right? Because a lot of these personal issues people are making, political um and so i i do i think there's a a point where you enter an arena and it, you have to be open to criticism nonetheless critics i do think and this is again a a way we need to be thinking about this as christians even if we are christians in academic circles i think we need to be addressing issues with great tact and care um and this is uh you know ravi zacharias died just probably about a month ago now. And I think he was just the absolute boss at this. Um, and Christians should be still listening to his stuff for years to come because he could take questions that were so deeply personal and relevant to someone's life, speak to them honestly and directly. Um, and, and yet, and yet, um, with so much tact and love, like, it's just like, you know what I mean? And I think that's the route we would need to go. I, th- I think both are important. Like I think validating a person and their experience is so essential and important. Again, otherwise you just stifle them and you make the issue worse. Um, you make them want to cancel you. Um, but you also need to be able to be open and honest about the truth, especially if depending on where that person is going with it. You know what I mean? So some people just share their experience and that's one thing. I don't think you need to jump in and start criticizing. Um, on the other hand, some people use their experience to justify policy or, or certain, you know, historical movements or political movements or whatever. And that might be fair. Um, but if, at that point, I think, you know, if you're going to bring something into a particular arena, you do need to be open to being debated, criticized or, or whatever, hopefully in a loving and tactful way. And I, and I wonder if that's the other elephant in the room in the sense of cancel culture is that it happens. It often happens in um, social media. It often ha- mm. can ha- mm. happens in a in a way when we're, when you're not dealing with an embodied, fully embodied human, right? And um, and often our approach uh, becomes becomes very becomes very harsh. And now that approach also shows up in how we show up. Uh, in people, and so we don't we don't offer any tact, or we don't discern that maybe this is while, while this is something to be I can debate and talk about. Maybe this isn't the moment 
maybe I just need to actually just be someone that listens, that offers care. Um, and I, I, I always think of that, what is that saying? Um, it's, it goes something to the, to the extent of, um, like people will only care about what you have to say and until they know how much you care, if that makes sense, uh, about what you, like, like you actually care about them. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and being aware of like the whole person because I think sometimes uh, like when we're so much thinking about truth we we can lose sight of the person mm-hmm. in front of us um, and I feel like as a Christian the Bible calls us to do both. Yeah, I'll call it I'll call it out um, for what it is. I think of the Canada Day post that P two C students posted on Instagram um, at the beginning of the month that we are recording this in. And the comment section on that one post is just brutal. And being in meetings with the people that were behind the P2C student account who were responding to generally negative comments on that post, um, like those are real life people. It's not just like a, you're talking to an organization. You're, you're talking to people who, who, who feel who are uh, passionate about the topics that, like for Canada Day, for instance, about indigenous people and assimilation and um, their culture and being able to hold in contention, like we celebrate Canada because it is a great nation that welcomes us, but there's also hurt, especially on this day, to celebrate for our brothers and sisters who had most of their lives taken away from them and all of their culture taken away from them. The reality is people are more confident behind a computer screen. They're more confident behind their phone in commenting things that they wouldn't necessarily say to someone's face because when you're talking to someone's face or you have a genuine connection with the person that you are in, that you are canceling, um, I feel like as humans we have, we would have more grace. We wouldn't necessarily say all the things that you comment um, on an Instagram post to their face. Um, but the reality is we live in a world where people can disassociate with the people that they're canceling and Mm. they can say like, Oh, like this organization cancel them because of this view that they have, or this celebrity cancel them because of this interaction with a fan that happened. Um, when you're just so completely removed from that, like organization or that celebrity you have no personal connection with them it's much much easier to call for extreme action in order to see Mm. change of some sort at the same time like i also see like it's it's hard because this is also depends on the issue in a sense but i think social media has also given people the power who were powerless to speak up against the powerful as well um like I think uh, about like, um, uh, what was it? Uh, there was like a Instagram food magazine. Bon Appetit. Yes, Bon Appetit. And some of um, the dynamics that, of working there, um, social media gave people the out, like employees who per, like probably wouldn't bring this up within a work context, an outlet to be able to call out their CEO. Um, on their behavior, which pre- uh, previously, like if it was in the past without social media, may not have that opportunity to do so. 
and that's significant too hmm. um I, so it's like i can think of like examples of both i feel like and and i think that's partially what makes this like a hard thing to talk about um and complicated one no i think that i think that's true like it it's not necessarily social media itself it's just how it relates to to human nature mm. and thinking about some of the things that you were saying laura i think of a, a book i read recently um it's called 12 ways your phone is changing you and mm. one of the chapters is uh, we become harsh but even in that chapter they use a, a specific quote by uh, the pastor uh uh, Charles Spurgeon and one of his quotes is it's the easiest thing in the world to find fault uh, and just really in that context mm. of that chapter helping Christians to think about like what are we how do we approach um, the things that we are yeah like how do we approach things like online um, not that I'm just saying we should stop critiquing or different things like that but mm. even in the nature of some of those posts the things that you were saying Laura like how it's just that's actually a very easy, uh, easy thing. But like to have like actual wisdom and wise conversation and mm-hmm. um, and truly love our neighbors well, I think that's something as Christians, uh, I think it would be really good if we um, grew at and um, showed the world a different way, even in our not just in our online presence, but in our embodied presence. So our time is uh, running low here. Any very final thoughts? I feel like. In general, I think listening is a skill that is important. Mm -hmm. I think in our consumeristic culture, we're always thinking of like, what does it like benefit me? Or like we're looking, we we tunnel vision and only hear something or look at something in the value that it gives us specifically or in light of like who we are maybe. And I feel like, you know, what if we were at a posture that was more open to listening Mm. to other people? and more fully of their stories of taking the time to process and think about it before responding. And I think something that I have trouble when I first moved to Canada and something I constantly heard in my head um, in terms of directed to other people was, do you need to say what you need to say right now? Or why does what you say have to be said right now? Hmm. Um, And it's, yeah, I don't Hmm. know. I think Western culture sometimes like throws that out the window and it's always just I'll say what I want to say because I want to say it when I say it when I'm like does it half does it make sense I don't know Um, I'm not Mm -hmm. the judge of that but I think that's interesting and I think along with listening it's listening to make sure that the other person is understood Um, Mm. because I know that I have the tendency when I'm listening to listen and then my brain thinks of how I'm going to respond or oh I'm going to connect that make it a personal thing and relate it to something that I've done and um, I often find myself like confused and say oh what did they just say I missed the entire second half of that sentence because I was thinking about how I'm going to answer and so especially with cancel culture especially with free speech listening trying to put our biases aside um and listening so that the other person feels understood and seen mm. and heard. Yeah, I guess the only thoughts I would add um, as we think about communicating, I guess the questions are, I would think about are, uh, is this loving? Because as a New Testament Christian, my thing is like, is this loving to God and to neighbor? Uh, I think the other question would I, uh, I would ask is like, is this wise? Is this like the best, is this the wisest way to go proud? achieving the goal and like tiffany said maybe that moment isn't the wisest moment 
maybe that moment isn't the most loving moment. But even what you're saying might be still be loving, but choosing the time. Mm. And then I think the other question, like, what is the context? Um, that's a question that's really important to us as Christians um, when we read scripture. But I think context also gives us, even in situations, reading reading the context of being like, how will this conversation go if I have it publicly as opposed to privately? How will this conversation happen on social media? Some conversations do need to happen on social media. Some do need to happen publicly. But... Mm-hmm. others really don't and maybe mm-hmm. a majority might not <laughs> yeah so that mm-hmm. might be a good those are two yeah. questions i try to apply i think also knowing that sometimes Corey said this in the very beginning sometimes there is a place to cancel someone mm-hmm. like there is a place to fire someone for their behavior there is a place to take away someone's platform or not have them speak at an event that you're holding but to know when to like hit the brakes and pull that card out Um, that's the more sticky situation, but like, we're not advocating for never cancel ever anyone ever again. Like I can think of like child trafficking that's currently in the news right now. Bad. Cancel those people. (laughs) Not okay. Mm. Not good. Mm. We don't want to support that industry. That is illegal activity and also very wrong. Um, and so those people need to be held accountable for their actions. And I think, you know, in this podcast, we're not pretending like the four of us are going to solve all these uh, really big and important issues. But I think this has been a really, really cool conversation. Uh, Thank you guys so much for your thoughts. It sounds like the gist of our conversation is saying we just want to humanize everybody, especially as Christians who believe in people who bear the image of God, even if someone has crazy, ridiculous ideas. I think uh, showing them grace and love and maybe even letting them air those ideas out and maybe helping them and praying that they would see the error of their ways or whatever. Uh, and that we would even see the error of our own ways uh, as well. Understanding that we've got uh, logs in our eyes that we need to get rid of before we can help anyone else remove the speck from their own eyes. So thank you guys so much. I appreciated this conversation. We're not going to pay you a nickel, uh, but we would love to hear your thoughts on cancel culture. 